Nietzsche's theory of eternal recurrence is the most difficult, the most secure, and the most fragmented of all his philosophical proposals. It has been interpreted in a variety of ways by a variety of different philosophers, and in the end, there is no real consensus on its value, interpretation, or remit. Furthermore, the theory is unfinished and not fully worked out, and was likely to contribute to the non-book The Will to Power. It mainly appears in disjointed form in The Will to Power, in notebooks from the 1880s, in The Gay Science, and Thus Spake Zarathustra, in Ecce Homo, and briefly in Beyond Good and Evil. However, in The Gay Science, Nietzsche describes it as the greatest weight. In Ecce Homo, Nietzsche tells us eternal recurrence is the, in his words, highest formula of a yea-saying to life that can ever be attained. So obviously, the eternal return is of huge significance to Nietzsche's philosophy. What I'm going to attempt here is a reconstruction. If eternal recurrence is to be presented as consistently as possible, I need to explain it as cogently as I can, as well as tie it together to other core concepts of Nietzsche's thought. But before that, we need to try and figure out exactly what Nietzsche means by eternal recurrence. Firstly, then, I will explain the general understanding of eternal return, firstly as an ontological thesis, and secondly as an ethical injunction. My overall claim is that the normative interpretation and the ontological interpretation are not separable. Once we understand this, we will be able to see how eternal recurrence draws together the different strains of Nietzsche's thought and contributes to expanding his radical metaphysics. Let's begin with the term eternal recurrence itself. We have two words here, eternity and recurring. Eternity refers to that which does not change, and reoccurring implies a repetition of prior happening. So in a very banal way, it is eternity which happens again. But to say this implies a contradiction, since eternity is just eternity. It cannot happen twice. Implicit to the notion of eternal recurrence, then, is an injunction to think two seemingly disparate notions together, time and eternity, or sameness and change. Nietzsche wants us to think of the eternal return as a holding together of time, and that which is timeless. Now, this does run counter to the philosophical tradition, as well as some basic conceptual intuitions about contradiction. And remember, conventionally at least, eternity is a transcendent property. It is a property of the divine, or the most real being, the most fundamental of all things from which appearances, which are dispersed, transient, multiple, is derived. Eternity, at least in the way it has historically been taught in metaphysics, is beyond the dispersion and multiplicity of time. Time cannot be admitted to eternity, and that is the contradiction that we need to overcome. The split between eternity and the becoming character of appearances, and it must be added between the finite character of mortal lives and divine existence, reveals the two faces of eternal return. The eternal return is interpreted as either an ontological, or sometimes even an empirical factual interpretation of the universe, or sometimes it is conceived as just an ethical theory. The ontological interpretation characterises Nietzsche's myth, allegory, as a proposition about the nature of the universe. Here, 
the universe and all things in it literally reoccur. We could even add an epistemological dimension to this claim that specific objects factually reoccur again and again. So, the theory goes, existence recurs in an infinite cycle of energy and matter within infinite time. In a mythological sense, this is not really new. The idea that life is cyclical, that death and rebirth occur at infinitum, is found in a number of myths and theogenies. The scientific or factual version of eternal return supposedly posits that the universe and all the matter in it is finite. So consequently, in a span of infinite time, some or all states would necessarily reoccur exactly. Put in another way, if there are innumerable finite centres of force in the universe, it follows each configuration must, by necessity, recur in the medium of infinite time, or time without end. The ethical version of the eternal return is usually conceived as a form of existential test, whereby we are confronted with a test, that if life, in this moment now, was to be repeated for eternity, would it measure as eternally worthwhile? The idea being that the thought of eternal recurrence imposes on us a demand for self-assertion, where we test ourselves to see our lives from the perspective of eternity. By injecting the stamp of the eternal onto the now, we can discern whether we would want this moment to be worthy of being lived forever. Eternal recurrence imposes a moral injunction upon us, demanding that we ought to act and behave as if everything recurs eternally. When we look at the primary text, this does certainly seem to be a plausible reading. In the gay science, Nietzsche asks us to imagine a situation where a demon asks us a hypothetical question. What if you were to live the life you presently lead, not once, but innumerable times in exactly the same way? Would you welcome this counsel? Or would you run forever from this thought? And in a basic philosophy of everyday life since, you can see the logic of this. Is what I am doing now worth repeating? With the ontological and ethical versions of eternal recurrence, we see an opposition between an eternal ideal and the temporal and mortal life which we now live. But as I mentioned, Nietzsche wants us to think of time and timelessness as inseparable. Consequently, the ontological and normative interpretations are not easily disentangled. This can be grasped easily enough. If reality, as Nietzsche suggests, the combination of innumerable forces interacting for all time, then that denotes the horizon of intelligibility through which human actions are or can be conceived. If reality is structured by eternal recurrence, then humans are also bound or determined by the world as eternal recurrence. This makes more sense when we recall Nietzsche's perspectivity. After the death of God, without a transcendent eternal being, eternity is asserted as having the same reality as transience. This is an important point and refutes, I think, some interpretations that Nietzsche wanted to offer scientific proofs of eternal recurrence. If we are to try and understand eternal recurrence with the view from nowhere, from a perspectiveless perspective, that would be impossible, as it would be to view reality from outside of reality, adopting a standpoint of absolute transcendence of the world. Eternal recurrence, like all of Nietzsche's other concepts, 
must be understood from the perspective of life. This means that the thought of the eternal return cannot really be understood in a scientific sense. It is not really verifiable or even falsifiable, as we might normally understand those terms, as if it was something that we can ascertain through experimentation and observation. Those scientific activities too would have to presuppose a notion of historicality rather than a supra-historical perspective. There can be no supra-historical perspective and this means we must understand reality as perspectivity or will to power. Eternal recurrence is not intelligible as an ontological state nor as a psychological grasping of the moment, I think, or simply as a a carpe diem imperative. There's a little bit more going on. As we have seen with the will to power, it is crucial that we understand eternal recurrence as a form of willing, that is, as a way of holding steadfast or moving through time. Put otherwise, the eternal recurrence is a theory of will to power. The eternal return names the ways in which that which is transient or becoming comes to be present or comes to presence more accurately. And by presence here, I do not mean as purely restricted to the present moment, that is the now. Rather, I'm referring more to the ways transience is arrested. Again, to be clear, if the eternal is precluded from the outset then any arresting of the flux of becoming is only temporary or formed as a relative stability. And relative stability cannot be absolute stability because it is inherently, well, unstable. For Nietzsche, presence would be the optimum form of permanence, which in turn is characterised by a drive towards security, where security means securing the possibility of enhancement, of finding and dominating more of life. Hence the term recurrence cannot be equivalent to an eternal perspective precisely because recurrence implies a bringing back into stability. Thus, any stability is only derived from the interaction of local forces rather than from any more real model of eternity. It is as if Nietzsche is saying after the death of God, the most we can think about eternity is as a continual making stable of becoming. Thus, as I already mentioned, being or the eternal and becoming transients are only apparently in opposition. What is sometimes called the eternal return of the same implies that the recurrence is not in fact a return. By this I mean that the eternal being is not returned because there is no unique or original reality from which all repetitions are derived. Nothing returns. The repetition is simply not a copy or a facsimile of any original source. Another way of putting it would be that there is no original model. There is no alpha or omega, no beginning or end which acts as the model for all things in the universe. Instead, what we have is a cycle of beginning and ending. So what returns is in fact not the same. Life contains within it an eternal movement of creation and transformation. 
Thus, what Nietzsche is really trying to express with eternal recurrence is the creative unity of all things. That is to say that all things are a species of creativity. This is why Nietzsche always emphasises the importance of art, because the artist has the keenest sense of life as a form of creation. Eternal recurrence cannot thus really be understood as the literal idea that our life experiences return again and again in exactly the same way. Rather, eternal recurrence is really a theory of time. Martin Heidegger gives us the best interpretation of eternal recurrence, I think. For Heidegger, eternal return reveals the nature of time itself. If we think about time in a basic sense, when we experience time, it feels as if it is infinitely coming as well as infinitely going or elapsing. In Heidegger's view, we do not experience time in a chronological sequence of moment, that is, of moments past, moment present, and moment future. Nietzsche attempts to think of how these moments, according to Heidegger, are fundamentally interconnected. Thus, what is repeated, what is eternally returned, is the form of time itself. That is what eternally reoccurs. The eternal part of eternal recurrence then should thus be understood as we normally understand the term eternity where eternity denotes that which is synonymous with the everlasting, endless duration, an eternal present, which neither ceases nor begins, or the simultaneity of all the different bits and segments of time, and good old-fashioned timelessness or endlessness. As I mentioned, time traditionally has been conceived as secondary and derivative of the eternal. The simultaneity of eternity then can be thought of as a gathering of all the different temporal parts at once. If eternity is to have any meaning, it therefore must be thought of as some kind of overcoming, a prolongation or gathering of all the dispersed instances of time. Nietzsche, however, has other things in mind. Nietzsche is, I think it's fair to say, comfortable with one part of eternity, the bit where we say eternity means there is no end. However, this is not for Nietzsche endlessness, that is, a state of eternal being. To say that which is endless does not end, which of course borders on tautological, does not really help though. Nietzsche's reworking of the eternal does not mean that the eternal does not come to an end, as in it endures without anything coming on the scene to stop, block, limit or mitigate it. We can ask though then, what exactly is it that is endless about eternal recurrence? What comes to an end for Nietzsche is eternity, and what lives is the insight that perpetual ending is not endlessness. So what is eternal for Nietzsche is becoming itself. Thus the eternal is time itself. That there is no end means that becoming goes on and on and on. Or put in another way, Eternal recurrence happens again and again. With time, nothing is ever complete. This state of never being completeness means that whatever attempts to complete itself is supplanted by the perpetual reoccurrence of time. I think this is where a lot of confusion about eternal recurring emerges. The use of the word eternity makes us think the eternal recurrence is all about how we conventionally understood it, 
that is, is endless duration, when in fact, Nietzsche is asking us to reverse the conventional meaning of eternity, where the eternal is that which is outside or beyond time. It is time itself which continually reoccurs. If there is no outside of time, then this also helps us to make sense of the idea that God is dead as well. Nietzsche is putting an end to endlessness. That there is no end, no state of completion, means also that there is no God, no state of repose, no Valhalla, which eternally grounds the world. There is no now and forever. Or in Nietzsche's own words, there is no once and for all. This does make some sense in a philosophy of everyday life way. You never really have one cup of tea or coffee once and for all. Sure, you might quit caffeine, but this too cannot be in itself a once and for all, since you might just take it up again. With eternal recurrence, Nietzsche is explaining the form of time. By this I mean he is talking about the conditions for anything being thinkable in the first place. While I can do lots of different things, drink lots of cups of coffee, entertain different psychic content, engage in lots of different actions, the limits of what is intelligible philosophically can only take place within a discourse of flux. What eternal recurrence demonstrates is flux itself, which is the constant and continuous unfolding of reality. It always goes on and on, and is in that way precluding the possibility of striving for eternal release or reconciliation. Does this not skirt too close to the chaotic view of the world that Nietzsche is trying to break down? Not, it would seem, for Nietzsche. Eternal recurrence of the same is that which arrests the flow of becoming. Eternity is only intelligible as that which gives stability to becoming. But relative permanence is not eternity. By giving permanence to becoming, the same recurs again and again as relatively recurring duration. The form of the return of the same then is an event. Eternal recurrence is nothing other than another word for happening. Whatever happens, whether this is a tree, a house or a person, happens as an event which strives to maintain itself in the face of relentless change. Irrespective of the content of that which recurs, the form remains the same. It is as if Nietzsche is casting Plato's worlds of forms back into the cave of appearances. He is asking us to think about the nature of permanence. Because there is nothing original or no fundamental ground from which all other things are derived, then there is nothing permanent in reality. The only way that something can endure is for it also to pass away or perish. Thus, the condition of perishing is the same as the condition of survival. Here we can see how eternal recurrence overlaps with will to power. Will to power and eternal recurrence are two sides of the same kind. With will to power attempting to enhance, novelize, improve and transform, while eternal recurrence attempts to remain the same. Hence the eternal return of the same, as it is sometimes known or called, is the effort to delimit or arrest any possibility of change. But equally, if something is to change, it cannot do so without being something that can be changed. Something that doesn't change. If will to power is the continual effort at enhancement, then it cannot but be something which constantly attempts to remain the same. But what exactly is the same? Why does Nietzsche say that what recurs is the same? 
Now, when Nietzsche refers to the same, as in the eternal return of the same or the eternal recurrence of the same, I think it should not be taken to mean identical or indiscernible. Basically, similitude implies resemblance, but not absolute sameness, as in when we say something is the same as another thing. Eternal recurrence is another name than for events. It does not really mean the repetition of an original state. In fact, eternal recurrence precludes that possibility. Recurrence stresses a different occurring. So Nietzsche is not really talking about the content, properties or state of what recurs. What does recur is the event, or the event of time itself, not past events which previously occurred. A recurrence implies a return to an original state of affairs after a moment of termination. But termination has to have occurred for a reoccurring to take a place. If an event is still occurring, after all, it cannot be said to be reoccurring. So, again, confusion does arise about what Nietzsche means by recurrence of the same. If the same were absolute identity, then that which occurs would be indifferent. Indeed, it would be indistinguishable from what was recurring. This is to say there would be no difference between a thing and the thing that recurred. I think the importance of this cannot be overstated if we are to understand what Nietzsche means by eternal recurrence, because it means that the content of what recurs is not exactly the same. As if I were to recur in some future state that would be identical after my death, which would be a type of immortalism. This is often, and understandably, how eternal recurrence is interpreted, that events will happen exactly as they have done before. But this does not really make any sense. Also, we don't really need a new concept for that, because we already have one. Eternity. Eternal recurrence, then, is Nietzsche's way of reclaiming the originality of being. And by originality, I do not mean an original form from which all else is derived. I mean more the thought that reality itself is continually originating or emerging. Eternal recurrence or will to power not absolute, nor a whole, nor a god, nor a universal which incorporates all of the things that happen in the world. If this were the case, time would be a quantitative segment or fragment of a larger whole. This would be tantamount to excluding the question of time. But such an argument is not acceptable for Nietzsche, since time inherently does not remain. This is his basic trait, time elapses, it does not persist. So all that remains, all that stays the same, is the elapsing of time itself. This is the possibility of anything happening in the first place. The purest expression of nihilism is when nothing can be new, Nothing can be distinct. All there is, is the same. Does this mean then, though, that we are left with just particular moments? This can't be the case either for Nietzsche, because if we think of time in a linear way, all that we are left with is continual, instantaneous, discrete points or moments. Here, there is no connection between past, present and future. Nietzsche wants us to think of time ecstatically. And I'm following Martin Heidegger here. Time is the conjoining or the simultaneity or sameness of past, present and future. So, we have two things which eternal recurrence definitely is not. It is not isolated, discrete and consecutive moments, nor is it an eternal absolute. Time cannot be understood 
as the eternal, as eternal is also, if you think about it, a kind of instantaneous moment, and now, and now of endless duration. That is, as a moment of ceaseless duration. Nietzsche's theory of eternal recurrence, therefore, demands that we think of succession and simultaneity as the same. Really, he's making a kind of radical Kantian claim here. Nietzsche is asking what conditions have to be in place for anything to come about at all. And these conditions for Nietzsche require thinking the singularity of time. If we are to think of time past, time present and time future as relatively simultaneous, then this enables us to think of each event from the perspective of activity and newness. Nietzsche thought of eternal recurrence in a way that tries to think all of these moments in inverted commas at once. If time does not remain to some degree, then we effectively have nothing or chaos. But time is the only remainder and a horizon which we cannot surpass. The question of becoming keeps returning, keeps coming back. The return can only take place in a singular way, which is to say time continually returns in newer ways, shapes and variations. Any event or occurrence is thus not a duplication, a model or a copy. Rather, it relates to all other events in its singularity, in that this singularity is or has the form of every other singularity which can possibly occur. This must be the case because it would be absurd to suggest a singular moment is endless. You can't really have an endless moment because each moment continually enables other moments to arise, other events to happen. The very lack of completion of finality, of eternal recurrence, is what makes everything possible. If we can grasp eternal recurrence, we can see how it is tied to a number of Nietzsche's other concepts. For example, it shows us how Nietzsche begins to think of the moral formations of decline, collapse and rebirth. Again, I hope to have shown thus far that when Nietzsche is talking about recurrence, he is not talking about literal repetitions of past historical events or patterns. Although he certainly does give us reason to think that. Although it is not like he is saying that something to the effect that Louis XVI will reanimate again. What might reemerge though are similar patterns and forms. After all, it is not like monarchies have gone away. But still, repetition is not recurrence. When Nietzsche talks of the recurrence of historical patterns, social relations, he's talking about their temporal form or how they make sense within particular historical instantiations. The recurrence of patterns have the form of a movement from birth to health to decadence and destruction. This helps us grasp the development of sociological, psychological, biological or intellectual forms. More specifically, this is what Nietzsche means by genealogy, where Nietzsche shows that Moral forms, while wholly singular, still exhibit a certain necessity. In the genealogy of the morals, the whole point is that social patterns and normative claims can congeal into an ahistorical status. They assume they are natural, they are given, or behave as if they were eternal. Capitalism would be a good example of this. It is an economic system which purports to be natural, but if this was really the case, it would not have emerged when it did during the Industrial Revolution, nor would it have changed radically into the more advanced iteration we have today. This shows us that it too can be otherwise. Nietzsche's genealogy attempts to show that 
any values or norms or contingent or self-contradictory. Most famously in The Genealogy of the Morals, he shows that morals have a base origin, or that they are not in fact moral. Thus, while Nietzsche often deploys eternal recurrence to rethink the concept of eternity, it also has a much wider remit, the endless cyclical nature of the real. We can also see how the eternal recurrence relates to the question of nihilism. Nihilism, as we saw, is based on an affirmation of the eternal, or that which is absolutely the same. If we affirm eternal recurrence, if we think it, it will show that thought is necessarily imminent to the world, as it occurs rather than founded in a beyond, in an origin, a transcendence, or some absolute telos, some absolute end or purpose. This fate for Nietzsche must be loved, amor fati, because eternal recurrence demands more sincere and truthful willing than just a reconciliation with the absolute or, or the mere acceptance of fate. Eternal recurrence demands affirmation or even a longing for fate to come as it does. The existential test of eternal recurrence then is not so much about repeating my current life as if it was worthy of eternity or thinking myself as an eternal being, although that is inherent to the thought, but rather it is more about cultivating a sense of spiritual attunement to life. Such a thinking is a practice of vitalization by embodying healthier, higher forms of life. By being willing to be truthful about oneself, the affirmation of eternal recurrence is necessary for any thought that we can love life itself, loving the world itself and the course of things as they unfold, but also how I participate in that world, how I commit myself, my times, my location to it. The love of one's faith again then marks a type of gratitude, even a humility, which is a term Nietzsche would not be best pleased with. Perhaps modesty would be a better term. Gratitude implies thankfulness, gratefulness, but above all appreciation. And gratitude is one of the more constructive thoughts in Nietzsche. That is, that to think philosophically, that is to think with depth, one begins with admiration for all of the things that makes up the situation one inhabits. Only here can we assume that we are not passively determined beings. Only through affirmation of eternal recurrence can we gain a sense of ourselves as beings for whom the overhuman is a question, and thus that our future is open and unwritten. The task is to live philosophically, in such a way that you would wish that life is lovable to the degree that it could be lived again by others or other versions of you. The task is to love humanity. After all, what else would you be doing? <laughs>